Church family, I encourage you to open up your Bibles this morning to the book of James. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Hope that you are ready to feast upon God's Word. It's what we do when we read and we study. But you think about it like a meal. Uh, this is nourishment for our souls. We need the Word of God. It is powerful to work in us to bring about that, that healthy spiritual life that God has called us to. Um, this is essential for us. This is where we find our nourishment. So James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And as you turn there, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from God's Word. Church, this is the Word of God. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of our message today is Anchored Hope for an Unknown Tomorrow. Anchored hope for an unknown tomorrow. As we end 2020 and begin 2021, I think it's safe to say we will all look back on this past year and say, well, that is not what I was expecting. Would you agree with me? That is not what I was expecting. Now, I'm sure that we all had different expectations for 2020 when we compare our individual expectations to one another. But I'm also sure that all of our expectations were very similar in that they were very far from what actually occurred in 2020. None of our expectations included something called COVID-19 nor any of the changes that it has brought with it. And that's just one of the unexpected circumstances of 2020. I think this past year has been a great reminder for us to heed the words of God found in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, which teach us to be careful, to be careful when we speak about the future. But I think when we compare this passage of Scripture to how we often speak about the future, we'll have our eyes open to a deeper problem than just our speech and how we speak about the future. I think we'll have our eyes opened to a problem of our hearts. A heart problem. And as we examine this heart problem, what I think we'll see underneath this surface problem of how we speak about the future is that we have a a hope problem. We have a problem with where we place our hope as people. BibleGateway.com, many of you may have used that before. Um, It's a well-used resource on the internet for looking up Bible verses and searching the Bible for specific words. Uh, It can be a very helpful resource. 
Um, and, and, and they track the number of users on their website each year and, and what they're looking up. Every website does that. You just track what people, what people are looking up. Not surprisingly, the website saw increased traffic over this past year when it came to searching what the Bible says about things like racism and pandemics and politics. There was a, a spike uh, in, in the number of searches for those kinds of things in the Bible on this website. But what stood out to me uh, in an article that I read was a word which climbed to number three, the number three spot for the most searched word on Bible Gateway this past year. And th- this isn't just like a Google search. These are people that are, that you're, you're trying to find this word in the Bible. You're searching for this word in the Bible. The words love and peace remained in the number one and number two spot. That's the, that's the two words that, that they all, they, that just, that's what people are looking up uh, on the Bible more than any other words. But the number three uh, word changed. 2020, the number three word was the word hope. It was the word hope. People are looking for hope. Perhaps you're one of them. But unfortunately, many people are hoping in the wrong things. They're hoping in their plans and they're hoping in their predictions for 2021 rather than hoping in Jesus. Church, I want to plead with you today. Place your hope in Jesus, not in your plans for the future. Place your hope in Jesus, not in your plans for the future. Now, I'll go ahead and say, and you'll hear me say later in this sermon, this doesn't say don't plan for the future. Don't make any plans. That's not the point, okay? And I'll say that again. It's not what this says. But what it says is don't place your hope in those plans. Instead, place your hope in Jesus. How many times, let's be honest, how many times have you heard someone say, or maybe you've said it this past year, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. We probably all said that if we're honest. We probably all, at least we probably all thought that. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, if I can just make it to 2021, I'll be all right. I can't count how many times I've heard that. And perhaps even thought that in my own mind. It seems like the theme song from the cartoon Scooby-Doo has become our theme song. Except instead of searching for a dog named Scooby, we're searching for 2021. You know the theme song, right? Maybe I shouldn't sing the theme song to Scooby-Doo, a church on Sunday morning, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? Come on, you know it, right? right? But, but here's what we're, we've been saying for like the past 11 months, right? Or at least nine months. Um, we've been saying, 2021, where are you? Right? That's what we've been doing. I mean, just, just search, just wait. Let's just get this year over with. I can't wait to find 2021. Let's get there. But when you consider the reason so many of us have been longing for a new year, and then the assumption behind that reason, you'll see that this longing for a new year could actually be revealing sin in our hearts. Let me ask this question. What is the reason we've been longing for 2021? Well, it's because we haven't liked the circumstances of 2020. They've been hard or painful or confusing or disappointing or all of the above. Things didn't go according to our plan in 2020. As many have said, I'm done with it. I'm done with 2020. I'm over it. But what's the assumption behind this longing for 2021? The assumption behind longing for 2021, is that 2021 will be filled with better or at least improved circumstances. That's what, we are, that's what we are assuming when we say, can't wait for 2020 to be over, I'm ready for 2021. We're assuming that 2021 will be better. Because the reason we're ready to get out of 2020 is because we don't like those circumstances. 
Now, it's not always wrong to hope for better circumstances in the future. That's not a bad thing. But it is wrong to hope in your hope for better future circumstances. It is wrong to tie your joy and your peace and your satisfaction in life to what you hope is going to happen sometime in the future. As we'll see in our passage today, such thinking is foolish, it is idolatrous, and it is also destructive. To put it bluntly, our longing for a new year could actually be sinful because it could reveal arrogance in our hearts as we pretend to know the future and idolatry in our hearts as we hope in changed circumstances rather than hope in Jesus. Today I want you to be warned against such arrogant boasting and hopeless longing Today, through our study of of this short passage in the book of James, I want us to place our hope in Jesus, not in our plans for the future. Now, if you know anything about the book of James, you know that James was most likely written not by the Apostle James, um, but by James, the brother of Jesus. James served, this James served as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. And in this letter, he's writing to help Christians put their faith into action with godly wisdom, wise living. Here, specifically in this passage, godly wisdom when it comes to thinking and speaking about the future. As we examine this passage, I want to share four truths with you this morning. As we see God's Word expose the surface of the problem, the heart of the problem, the result of the problem, and the solution to the problem. First, we see James exposing the surface of the problem. First truth is this, boasting of the future is a foolish hope. Church family, boasting of the future is a foolish hope. It's foolish. James begins these verses by addressing those who boast about the future. Now if you skip down to verse 16 for just a second, you see that he says they boast in their arrogance and that all such boasting is evil. So when we back back up to verse 13... What these people are saying concerning the future, James calls evil boasting. Strong language there. So what are they saying? Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What do they say? Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such town and we're going to spend a year there. We're going to trade. We're going to make a profit. Sounds like they're just reading off their agenda. Sounds like they just... They just said, hey Siri, what am, I, what am I doing tomorrow? All right, what am I doing for the next year? What's, the, what's, the, what's, what's my plans? Now in a moment we'll get to the heart of the problem, but first James exposes the surface of the problem. Listen, you don't have to be very smart to realize what these people are saying is extremely foolish. What they're saying is foolish because of what must be true if the claims they're making hold any water. See, here's the assumptions behind their claim. When they say, today or tomorrow they will do such and such. They are assuming that they will be alive the rest of today and tomorrow. When they say, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade, they're assuming they will do exactly what they want to do and nothing will prevent them from doing what they want to do. Plus, they're still making the first assumption that not only will they be alive the rest of today and tomorrow, but for the next year. And then third, when they say, we will make a profit, notice that they say, we will make a profit. They are assuming they will achieve the exact results they want to achieve from what they intend to do. Are you beginning to see how foolish this hope is, this boasting is? Here's what must be true if I'm going to make such a statement. Here's what has to be true. 
I know I will live to see tomorrow. I know what I will do when I get to tomorrow. And I know the results of what I do when I get to tomorrow. Now, anyone with just a little common sense can see that those are three baseless claims. Those claims are out of touch with reality. And James says as much in verses 14 and 15. He's got to point out the obvious. We often talk about what we know and we really don't know it. We claim to know things that we don't know. Look at verse 14 and 15. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. First we see here James exposing the foolishness of the claim, I know what I will do when I get to tomorrow. James says, no, you don't. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Friends, can any of us actually predict the future? Can we do that? No, we can't. We can guess, but at the end of the day, we don't know. Then James, in verse 14 and 15, exposes the foolishness of the claim that I know that I will live to see tomorrow. James says, no, you don't. What is your life? For it is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Friends, are any of us guaranteed tomorrow? Are we? No. Our life is like a mist. You wake up early, you look outside, you see a mist over your yard, you go fix a cup of coffee, you come back and poof, it's gone. Just like that. No warning, it just vanished. And so do our lives. And yet we assume we'll be alive tomorrow, and the next day, and in this passage for the next year. And then James exposes the foolishness of the claim that I know the results of what I will do tomorrow. Remember they said, we're going to make a profit. We're going to be alive, we're going to do such and such, and we're going to make a profit doing that. James says in verse 15, no you don't. God does. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Friends, even if you live to see tomorrow, and even if you're able to do what you want to do tomorrow, do you really know for sure that what you do will achieve the results that you think that they will achieve? No, we don't. James points out the fact that we are not sovereign over tomorrow by pointing to the fact that God is sovereign over tomorrow. It's not if you will, or if I will, but if God wills. We don't control the outcome of our actions. So it's foolish to to, to talk about them as if we know exactly what's going to happen. James is simply pointing out that it is arrogant for those to whom he is writing to boast about the future. They don't know if they'll be alive tomorrow. They don't know if they'll be able to go where they plan to go or conduct the business they plan to conduct when they get there. They don't know if their business will make a profit and yet they're arrogantly speaking about the future as if they know and all this stuff is going to happen exactly as they think it will. Friends, we don't know if 2021 will be better than 2020. It might be worse. They don't know the future. The ones that James is writing to, we don't know the future, and so it's foolish to place our hope in our plans for the future. He's not chastising them for making plans. He's chastising them for their arrogant confidence that everything's going to happen exactly according to their plan. But this is just the surface of the problem. The problem goes deeper than having foolish speech because what comes out of our mouths, mouths doesn't originate in our mouths, it originates in our hearts. And it's simply a symptom of a deeper problem. So we need to examine verse 15 a little more closely in order to see James exposing the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem. 
Friends, boasting of the future is an idolatrous hope. It's the second truth I want to share with you. It's not, it's not merely a foolish hope. It is an idolatrous hope. You know what idolatrous means? It comes from the word idolatry. You know what idolatry means? It means to, to, to worship an idol. It means to worship someone or something, anything that's not God. It's to give the worship that belongs only to God to someone or something else. Boasting of the future is an idolatrous hope. Think back to the statement in verse 13, which James is calling evil boasting. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and we'll trade and make a profit. Now on the surface, that might not seem like such a bad thing to say, right? We might be even tempted to say, come on, James. I mean, don't you have more important things to worry about than these people just talking about what's on their calendar for the year? I mean, come on, God, right? There are some pretty evil ways that a person can speak and this doesn't seem to fall into the category of evil. I mean, at least these people seem like hard workers, right? I mean, at least they seem like they're planning to go out and make a living. At least they're hoping for a successful future. What's the big deal? Friends, the big deal is that such speech leaves God out of the equation. Where in their statement is God? He's not to be found. It's we will live, we will go, we will trade, we will make a profit. Where is God in all of that? Well, He has been forgotten. He has been forgotten. And when we forget God, we commit the sin of idolatry. We were created to worship. You and I are always worshiping. All the time, we are worshiping someone or something. And if it's not God, then we're committing idolatry. Behind arrogant speech is an arrogant heart. Behind predictions of the future which fail to submit to God's will are hearts which fail to submit to God's will. Behind hopes for the future which center upon my wants is a heart centered upon me rather than a heart centered upon God. The reality, the truth, remember all those false assumptions that we looked at a few minutes ago? The reality, the truth, is that God determines the number of my days, not me. God knows the future, not me. God controls the future, not me. Which means God should be worshipped, not me. In verse 15, James exposes the heart of the problem by correcting their thinking and speaking about the future. And he corrects it by bringing back into the equation what they were leaving out. God. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. You see, it wasn't their planning and hoping for the future which was evil. He didn't say, don't say, we're planning to do this or that. He says, make sure... You submit those plans to the Lord. It was the absence of submission to God in their planning and hoping for the future that was evil. The heart of the problem was they were failing to submit their plans and hopes and wishes for the future under the sovereign hand of God. And in so doing, they were really placing themselves in the place of God. You see, this passage is not just exposing foolish speech, but idolatrous hearts, hearts that are worshiping our plans for the future rather than God. James says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The point is this, if you're boasting in your future, then your future has become your God. In fact, James has been exposing idolatrous hearts for several paragraphs at this point in the letter. Remember, we always want to study a passage in its broader context. At the end of chapter 3, James says that foolish thinking comes from hearts that are filled with selfish ambition. 
And then at the beginning of chapter 4, James says that fighting and quarreling come from selfish passions at war in our hearts. It's very clear that James is writing to people who are struggling to keep God on the throne of their hearts. Their own wants and wishes and selfish desires seem to be ascending the staircase and knocking Jesus, whom James calls in chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord, knocking Jesus, the Lord, off of His rightful place of the throne of our hearts. One of the ways this idolatry was revealing itself was in the way they spoke about the future. Church, listen. If the Christians in the first century could be found guilty of idolatry when it came to speaking of the future, certainly Christians in the 21st century could be found guilty of idolatry when speaking of the future. Let's not run too quickly past this without examining our hearts and see if we are falling into the same temptation as those Christians James is writing to. The fact that we're not sovereign over tomorrow does not mean that we shouldn't make plans for tomorrow. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying don't make plans. There's nothing wrong with having a calendar and making plans and preparations for the future. In fact, the Bible recommends and commends such practices. However, we must hold our plans, our plans, very loosely in our hands realizing that God's will might just be different. And thus, we need to be ready to let go of our plans in the blink of an eye and surrender our plans to God's will. You see, if we, if we hold on to our plans too tightly, we fall prey to this idolatry, this sin of idolatry. Our plans can be a helpful tool, but listen, our plans for the future make a terrible God. Make, we make plans, but we don't want to worship them. Our griping, complaining, worrying, and getting bent out of shape when things don't go according to plan might just reveal that our plans have climbed the throne of our hearts and that our hands are grasping more tightly to our plans for the future rather than God's will for our future. Church, when you boast in your future, your future has become your God. This is what I want you to hear today. This is the warning. When you tie your joy and your satisfaction in life to your prediction of the future, you reveal that your hopes for a certain set of future circumstances are sitting on the throne of your heart. When you speak about the future by arrogantly assuming you know what the future holds, you have, you have more than a speech problem. I have more than a speech problem. We have a heart problem. We have a worship problem. We have a hope problem. And I just wonder, after having experienced a year like 2020, how many of us are guilty today of idolatry in the way that we've been thinking and speaking about 2021? James has exposed the surface of the problem. Boasting of the future is a foolish hope. He's exposed the heart of the problem. Boasting of the future is an idolatrous hope. But now we see James exposing the result of the problem. This is why I say it's a warning to us. This isn't something we want to take lightly. As James exposes the result of the problem, we see this. Truth number three, boasting of the future is a destructive hope. It's a destructive hope. This isn't good. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. This truth truth is simple yet profound, but I pray it will make us take seriously the matter at hand. In verse 16, James calls this boasting of the future evil. Now I want you to look at verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That's the key word there. Sin. The point of this verse is not to say that a certain action is only sin for some people, but not for others. 
sin is sin whether you know it's a sin or not. What James, what James seems to be doing in verse 17 is he's a little, I don't know any other, other way to say it, he's lovingly sticking his finger in the face of the Christians that he's writing to, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's lovingly sticking his finger in, in their face and he's saying, don't come at me with excuses. Don't do it. Don't say, well, we're not committing an offense against God. We're not explicitly doing something God told us not to do. I mean, God said, don't lie. We're not lying. God said, don't steal. We're not stealing. I mean, we're going to do some business and make a profit that way. We're not thieves. We're trying to earn our living. We're not, we're not explicitly uh, uh, committing sin. We're not just going out, running over these rules that God has given us. And to that, James says, listen, not doing the right thing is just as much a sin as doing the wrong thing. That's what he's saying in verse 17. He's saying planning to do something evil is sin, but so is planning to do something good and failing to submit those plans to the Lord when you know that is the right thing to do. What he's saying here is, is he's saying, y'all, y'all know what's right. Y'all, y'all know I'm right. <laughs> y'all know you don't know the future. You know you don't know whether you're going to live tomorrow, so don't act like you do. And don't say it's not a sin, because a sin of omission is just as much a sin as is a sin of commission. His point here in verse 17 is to call their boasting of the future exactly what it is. It is sin. It's not just an unhelpful way to speak. It is a sinful way to speak. But I don't think James is being rude. Remember I said he's lovingly pointing his finger in their face. Saying, don't, don't give me excuses. Don't give me excuses. Let me tell you what this is. It's sin. But he's doing so out of love. Why don't you just skip, skip to the very end of the letter for a moment. Notice the last two verses. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know what James is saying there? He's saying it is loving to help a wandering sinner get back on the path of righteous living. Why? Because sin leads to the destruction of death. He says there at the end of this letter, he will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It's loving for James to point out sin in their lives. It's loving for James to point out sin in our lives today. Because sin leads to destruction. This isn't the first time in this short letter where James connects sin and death, sin and and horrible consequences. Back in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, James wrote this. Chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so when James sticks his finger in the Christian's faces in chapter 4, verse 17, he's doing so out of love. He's calling their arrogant boasting of the future sin, not so that he can say, I can't believe y'all, y'all are just a bunch of sinners. He's doing it so that they'll be saved from the consequences of sin. So they'll turn from that speaking and that idolatry. All sin always leads to destruction in our lives. And specifically in this letter, James points out that a boasting tongue brings destruction. You can read about that in chapter 3. That an idolatrous heart brings destruction. You can read about that in the first part of chapter 4. Now you say, how does the sin of boasting about the future lead to destruction? I I mean, I can see how that's not right, but how does that bring destruction in my life? 
Are we overstating it? I don't think so. The full answer to that question is probably very long, but let me just give you a, a few quick suggestions. Think about it this way. When you boast about the future, you're placing your hope in the future. And when you place your hope in the future and the future doesn't deliver on what you hoped it was promising, do you feel built up or do you feel torn down? When your hope is in, this is going to happen and this is how it's going to go and it's going to be awesome and then it doesn't, do you feel built up or do you feel like the wind is knocked out of your sails? You feel like the wind is knocked out of your sails. You feel torn down. When you say, I'll be more joyful in 2021 than I was in 2020 because 2020 will be behind me. Well, at that point, you've tied your prediction of the future to your joy. You've tied those two things together. But what if 2021 turns out to be harder than 2020? Then your reason for joy has been destroyed. When you say, I won't complain as much in 2021 because 2020 will be gone, then you've tied your willingness to live with righteous contentment to your prediction of better circumstances in the coming year. But again, what if your circumstances don't get any better? What if they even got worse? Then your willingness to honor God by choosing to have a contented heart has all of a sudden been destroyed. And the list could just go on and on. The point is this, boasting about tomorrow is sinful and sin always leads to destruction in our lives. It doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. But friends, the point of this passage is not to leave us in despair concerning tomorrow. <laughs> That's not James' goal here. His, his goal isn't, isn't to say, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so there's nothing to hope in. That's not James's point. That's not, that's not God's point for us today. Not at all. You see, church, the future is unknown to us, but God, our God, has made Himself known through His Word. Specifically, the Word made flesh, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us something far better to hope in than our self-made plans for the future. He has given us Jesus. We have seen James exposing the surface of the problem, the heart of the problem, and the result of the problem. And now, finally, we need to see James exposing the solution to the problem. You see, while boasting of the future is a destructive hope, boasting in Jesus, church, is a life-giving hope. Boasting in Jesus is a life-giving hope. James says of boasting of the future that all such boasting is evil. What does that mean? That there then is boasting that is not evil? He says all such boasting is evil. Well, James, are you saying there's some boasting that's not evil? Tell me about that. Well, yes, there is. The Apostle Paul calls it boasting in Jesus Christ. And boasting in Christ means humbling ourselves before Jesus. That's what it means to boast in Christ. It means to point to Him and away from ourselves. To boast in Christ means we say, it's all about Jesus, it's not about me. It means to humble ourselves before Christ. And we do that in two ways when it comes to speaking about our future. One, we've got to humbly confess our sinful hope for tomorrow. Listen, listen if, you, if you are convicted today of having a sinful hope in the future then you need to confess that humbly to the Lord. And then secondly, we must humbly submit to Jesus as our only hope for tomorrow. See, if we back up just a few verses, we see James giving hope to arrogant hearts by teaching us to have humble hearts. Look back at chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. He says, but... He's talking to people with arrogant hearts. I mean, they are struggling with pride. He says, but he gives more grace. Amen? 
God gives us grace in the midst of our arrogance, in the midst of our sinful boasting, in the midst of placing our hope in someone other than Jesus. He gives us grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then notice what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here comes the confession part. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. He's talking, talking about being sorrowful over our sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Again, he's talking about being sorrowful over our sin. Calling sin what it is and confessing it to the Lord. But then what's the result? Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Those verses are called a humbly resisted temptation to sin by humbly submitting to the will of God and a call to humbly confess our sin to the Lord. Those verses are called to confess to God our foolish speech and idolatrous hearts and to hope in the Lord, not in anyone or anything else. That's what we're doing when we submit our lives to the Lord. We're placing all of our hope in Him. Now, I know you don't see the name of Jesus mentioned in this passage, but church, faith in Jesus Christ as both the rightful King and the only Savior undergirds this entire letter. James began his letter with these words. Chapter 1, verse 1. James, the brother of Jesus, began this letter this way. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means everything he says in this letter is founded upon his identity as a servant of Jesus who is God. See, the solution to the problem of boasting in your plans for the future is boasting in Jesus. Which is to say, it's not about me. This is what James says in chapter 1 verse 1. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I am His servant. He is my King. I am a sinner. He is my Savior. That's what he's saying when he calls Jesus Lord and Christ. He's calling Him King and Savior. He's saying, my only hope in life is Jesus. Not my plans for tomorrow. Not my prediction of tomorrow's circumstances. Not in an easier or a less painful future. Not in a vaccine for a virus or a check from the government or a return to any sense of normalcy. Those things may come or they may not, depending on the Lord's will. But my hope is in Jesus, the One who died for my sin and the One who has promised me life everlasting. Church, if our faith is in Jesus, then we don't need to hope in improved circumstances in 2020. Though we may hope that those circumstances get better. And that's okay for us to hope that. But we don't hope in that hope for better circumstances. Instead, we get the privilege of hoping in Jesus. And this hope doesn't destroy. This hope gives life. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10? I have come that they may have life, and then they may have it abundantly. And He has done that by dying in our place on the cross, taking our sin upon Himself, and becoming the perfect sacrifice to rescue all who would believe in Him for salvation. When we hope in Jesus, we are hoping in One. Listen, we are hoping in One who has secured for us an eternity with Him no matter what tomorrow may bring. When our joy is tied to Jesus, our joy will not waver even if tomorrow brings more difficulties than today. When our only boast is in Jesus, we don't have to make arrogant predictions about the future. 
But instead, we can submit our plans to Jesus and gladly say, if the Lord wills. Friends, you have a choice. You can choose to hope in an uncertain tomorrow, or you can choose by faith to hope in Jesus, who is the Lord of tomorrow. The first hope brings destruction. The second hope brings life. As Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When our desire is Jesus to boast in Him, to submit to Him, to find our joy in Him, we will have Him and the life that comes with Him. Church family, here's, here's just what I want to I I leave you with today. I, I, I want to, this is on my heart for you today. It's one to say, I don't know. I don't know what 2021 will hold. I don't know how much of 2021 I'll even live to see. I don't know whether or not I'll be able to do the things I plan to do in 2021. I don't know that if I get to do those things, they'll produce the outcome and the results that I I hope that they would produce, that they would provide. I don't know. But I also want you to know this. It's okay. It's okay. Because my hope is not in my plans for tomorrow. My hope is in Jesus. And as the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. He is a hope set before us, God's Word says, to which we should hold fast. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. The point James is making here is not that we shouldn't make plans for the future, that that's sinful, The point James is making is that arrogantly predicting the future and therefore hoping in our plans for the future is sinful. And so church, don't hope in your plans for the future. Instead, hope in the Lord who holds your future in His hands. Friends, have you placed your faith in Jesus? If you haven't, then you need to do so. You need to receive salvation through Him. Church, those of you who have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, Are you walking by faith in Jesus each day, trusting Him with your tomorrow? If not, then confess and submit your future to Jesus. Jesus alone can provide us with an anchored hope for an unknown tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word that chastises us. Father, sometimes it stings Father, it could very well be that every single one of us in this room are guilty in some way, shape, or form of the sin that James is exposing in the hearts and lives of his listeners. The sin that you are exposing in our hearts and lives today. Lord, for everyone, 2020 has been a, was, a, was an interesting year and, and, and provided this unique set of struggles. Lord, for some people it was very, very difficult. Father, whenever we walk through trials of life, whether it's a day that is difficult or a week that is difficult or a, or a year that is difficult or a, or, or a, a many-year season of life that is difficult, Lord, the, the sinful nature in us will always want 
to, to run from those difficulties and place our hope in changed circumstances. But Father, Your Word tells us that we can't do that. We shouldn't do that because we don't know the future. But Lord, You provided a better hope for us. And that hope is Jesus. So Father, I pray that if there is sinful boasting about the future in our hearts, Lord, I pray that right now we would confess that to You. Then as we respond in singing to You, Father, would You solidify in our hearts a hope in Jesus so that no matter what tomorrow brings, our lives will be overflowing with joy and peace and satisfaction and hope. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because He is the risen Lord for all of eternity. And because He has secured for us an everlasting home with Him, that nothing, nothing can take away. Father, may our hope be in Jesus today. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.